0: てねえ Welcome back, everyone, to the Big Players Only Podcast, a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network. We are the best place to catch up on golf from around the world, including the golf of your favorite big players, Ben, Josh, Tyler, Tully, Colin, and Kenny One putt. We got a fun one for you today, an interview with a teaching professional and golf content creator, Travis Fulton. Travis has been teaching golf for 20 plus years and has his own golf academy in the Jacksonville, Florida area. Travis's resume boasts quite a few big course names that he's worked at, but none bigger than the holy grail of being the director of golf at TPC Sawgrass stick around to hear us talk about some of the most iconic players in the game we'll give Travis's thoughts on their swings and their games maybe who's going to have a bounce back year coming up we'll talk about how amateurs should approach finding a good golf coach that fits their game and their style and then stick around to hear Travis's outrageously low personal best round Make sure to head over to Instagram and follow us at BigPlayersOnlyPod. You can find Travis on Instagram at TravisFultonGolf. Thanks, everyone, for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the episode. thanks again for coming on. So everyone, this is Travis Fulton, golf instructor ex- extraordinaire. Uh, we've been following him for a long time. Let's jump into some of these questions. Can you give us a little background? Where are you from? How you got started in golf? Uh, maybe even when, when did you decide you wanted to become a golf instructor?
1: Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a Pacific Northwest guy, as you can see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're in the Mariners jersey here. I uh, went to um, high school in uh, Northern Idaho, right outside of uh, Coeur d'Alene in a small town. Uh, called Kellogg Idaho, so um, northwest guy. Um, when I graduated college from uh, Lewis and Clark State College, I um, I decided I wanted to get in the golf business. I played three years for them; I was a decent player, but nothing you know, nothing extraordinary. So, uh, I knew playing professionally wasn't you know exactly what I wanted to do, but I wanted to stay in business. So I decided in um, 1999 that I was going to uh, teach, but I didn't know you know what the hell I was talking about. So I had to figure out. <laughs> Get an idea on how to teach and like teaching full time in 99 wasn't exactly heard of you know there was a few guys doing it but uh, there was a group traveling around doing some things in Arizona so I packed up moved went down there traveled around with them across the country we did a lot of things ended up getting this uh, license deal uh, to the pgh Tour, so that brought me to Florida and that's where it kind of all you know started to take off where I uh, worked at a couple facilities here Wargolf Village TPC Sawgrass and ended up becoming the director of instruction for pga tour academies which i did that for about 12 years and then um you know i've just been doing it kind of since don't teach as much as i used to um you know kind of doing a lot more media now but still after you know like three three and a half uh, days a week so 21 years in all now teaching golf which is crazy
0: love it man so can you tell us some about some of those courses you worked at so we know all about sawgrass but you were also yeah. in what arizona new york massachusetts does that sound right
1: yeah i mean so yeah i was in new york before i came here um this, you know, this little course called Doral Arrowood, which um, was right in Westchester County. And it was like this, you, you know, all this real estate in Westchester County is like, you know, every inch is gold. And this little carved out executive course was there with this range. And somehow people I was working for got the rights to do schools there and teach. So i I, uh, I ended up doing some stuff there, and it's as busy as I've ever been. I mean, we literally got there at 6 a.m. in the morning and left at 6 at night. I mean, people are crazy for golf up there, you know, and it's a short period of time. So I did that, did some other stuff um, right outside of Boston in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Um, traveled around Chicago, did some things there, and it was just, you know, kind of hopped around but had the hub in New York and um, and then ended up coming down here and and it was interesting with the um, PGA Tours, you know, you have TPC Sawgrass—that's kind of the mainstay. But our academy stretched in the TPC Scottsdale, TPC San Antonio, um, Las Vegas. So we had some really cool properties that we were teaching at.
0: Nice. Have you been? Have you had a chance to go to other the t- other TPC courses and play them and stuff? Do you have any uh, oh, any yeah. favorites of those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was just at Summerlin last week. Yep. Up, um, yeah. The Shriners um, Children's Open. So I was out there. Uh, that's a sweet place. Love it out there. Um, it's a fun golf course. Um, but I you know honestly, I've probably played two thirds of them. Um, I've been to probably you know close to twenty of them, twenty two, twenty three of them, and have, you know, and uh, have played most all of those that I've been to. so yeah, there's some sweet spots. Sawgrass of course, is, is a gem, you know. Scott's still so much fun, um, and uh, I like San Antonio. Two courses there, um, and there's some really good private ones too. Like uh, there's one called TPC in Palana, which is up in New Jersey. That's a that's a that's a pretty sweet track too. Twin Cities has got a fun one. Have you had a chance to play Avenel or TPC Potomac? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I played it actually before they redid it and after. Oh, nice. Um, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love that area there, right? Right across the street from Congressional. We did a lot of things there. Uh, we used to have a, like this road show. We traveled to different TPCs, and that one was one of my favorite. That's got one of the best practice facilities in the country.
0: Yeah, the old Kemper Open, right? Now the Rocket Mortgage. Yeah. Yeah, we've been we've had a tour event here forever. It's really the only one that we pretty much like perennially get to go to. So it's, uh, it's one of our favorite courses around. And it's like one of those courses that when you play, you're like, damn, this is hard, you know? This is hard out here. And then you oh. watch the scores they shoot, and it's like, what? Like, it's so how, unforgiving, <laughs> I know.
1: Like, how did he just shoot 64 there? That doesn't even make sense.
0: <laughs> so we, uh, yeah, so I think the the spectacle that is Sawgrass, how does that thing compare to all these other facilities? Uh, so you worked there for, like, 12 years or something like that? How, You know, from your first day to your last day when you walked in, did the sparkle of that place really ever wear off?
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like,
0: gosh, you know,
1: I can't believe I'm going to say this, right? Like, everything, I was there a long time. and Yeah. It, it was an awesome place to, to be able to teach. There's a lot of chefs in the kitchen, you know, when you can when you, when you work in a place like that. So it's hard to get decisions made, which, you know, it kind of gets, you know, can kind of wear on you after a while when you're trying to be aggressive and move the needle and things like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, that place is spectacular. I mean, the, the, the clubhouse is off the chart and it's one of those places too, where like when you bring people, and they're, you know, they're taking a lesson with you or they're getting ready to go play and they're out there on the range. And then they look over and it's like, oh, there's Jim Furyk. You know, <laughs> he's <actually> hitting balls <laughs> yeah. right next to me, you know, and then you go up and you go to the bathroom and you look over and it's like, hey, what's up, VJ? <laughs> right. You know? And it's, you know, it's like one of those places where it's just everybody's kind of sharing the same resources and it's just a spectacular spot. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 top 10 gem for sure in the country.
0: You make an interesting point, though. I mean, so you stood up your golf school shortly after leaving there, or maybe right after that. You know, was it the bureaucracy of a big TPC course like that that really led you to want to open your own school? And like you said, move the needle when maybe everyone else doesn't want to. The reason I left was I then I went to work for Golf Channel
1: and uh, I started doing a lot
0: more Golf Channel. We had uh, our
1: own show on Wednesday night um, and then I started doing morning drive in the mornings. And I was doing that like two or three days a week. So that my media career really kind of started taking off at that point. And the company I was working with, we we lost the licensing deal, so that was kind of coming to an end. So it was it was time to kind of jump ship and be an entrepreneur and do my own thing. So that's when I started my own content, my own platforms, um, my own partnerships, things like that. And and uh, we've been growing it since for you know probably just over three years. But yeah, the golf channel kind of put it in motion um, that okay, this I, I like this media side and I want to do it more.
0: Love it. So you're in uh you're in the Jacksonville area. You guys got like a first tee there or the juniors that you work with, are they just, you know, word of mouth? How'd you get, how'd you get into the teaching the young kids?
1: Well, so, I mean, when I was teaching every day, all day, I would, my, my kind of my niche was developing uh, junior golfers. Like I, I, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with high school kids and and work with them developing to, to go to play college golf. So that was kind of my niche. Um, and of course, you know you have the young ones too, where you get started, and um, so yeah, junior golf's always been a big part of um, what I've done. And when I built the studio here and, and brought my private lessons here and all the media stuff, we wanted to to do a junior series at night as well. So, the guy that teaches this is, is a guy by the name of Dave Myers, who actually worked for me at TBC Sawgrass. So, when I opened this, he was my first call. I was like, I need you back into the full. We got to reunite the band and, uh, and <laughs> Love get these it. kids going at night. So. Yeah, we got six. We we do six at a time, and um, and you can see them in the background here on the simulator. You know, this thing right here, this simulator, that's impressive. That's not want, golf over there. Look at that. that. You, want, you want to talk about growing the game? Yeah. What this is that game grows. they're yeah, playing? Banging balls what? around a, a warehouse or something. And <laughs> these <laughs> kids love this stuff. I mean, <laughs> love it. Like, it's a big vid. They're like, I totally get it. I love golf. I just want to play golf right Yeah. Here. <laughs> is it like beer not, pong, but... Not like a kind of what it looks like. I thought it was bowling yeah, for a second. right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, But yeah, I mean, they, these games—you can turn the simulator into these games, right? Cups are in the ground; they hit at this ball, this pongs, ju- you know, uh, pink pongs bouncing up. They play darts. They play cornhole uh, game. Yeah, that's um,
2: awesome.
1: Skeet ball—you name it. So, like, it's hitting a shot, and then it turns it into this big video game. So they're like, "Man, I'm in." Yeah, I
3: think a lot of people would get into golf much earlier if that's how it was presented to them, rather than just, oh, go out to a driving range and try and hit the ball five yards. And just suck, because golf's you got, hard. you got games you're doing with it.
1: Well, that's just it, right? Like, we've had this funny, you brought that up. We, we had this conversation where, uh, I can't remember I was talking to, like I said, you know, when I was young, like, golf was 18 holes, right? Like, you played 18 holes. You hit balls, and then you go play 18 holes. Now, like, golf's different to different people. Um, you know, like, we have a 12-hole course here in Ponte Vedra. Uh, they have nine, and then they have a par three on the back, and then they have a beer loop par three. So you can play nine, you can play 12, you can just play par threes, you can do whatever you want. But then, like, learning golf, um, you know, this wasn't even an option, you know, when we were younger. Now you can get them in here and kind of get them started soft, game-wise, learn some technique, and it's like, you know, this is this is cool. This is fun. You know, they associate golf to this, and then as they get older, they're like, Oh, okay. You actually go out on the course, and well, I want to now. I want to go do that. So it kind of, you know, it brings them into the game on a little different track, and I think one that that's probably a kid relates more to right. A six year old, seven year old, eight year old relates more to that versus, hey, we're going to meet Grandpa um, on the first tee um, and <laughs> yeah, bring, bring your Pro V ones, right? and We're going to go play nine holes. You know, so that's cool too. Some relate to that, but I, I, I it's been an eye opener for me here um, watching these kids on this thing.
0: Well, I tell you, man, I think a lot of us and a lot of our listeners, you know, want to learn from you and that for an amateur golfer, you know, not just kids specific, but do you think that, um, you know, should, should practice be more on the range, more on the course on the putting green? Like where, where should amateurs focus most of their time?
1: I think, you know, I think if, if, uh, if you're, if what golf means to you is improvement, like you're like, okay, I'm a 12 handicap. I want to get better. All right, that the, the approach of I'm just gonna keep playing and keep practicing and keep doing like there's there's gonna be incremental gains, but I think the reality is most everyone has a ceiling, right? It's like okay, this is my skill. I work it. hard, <laughs> you know, I can I can achieve that skill. But the reality is 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 to probably develop more skill, you gotta change some things, learn more technique. So that's when lessons come in, you start changing some things, uh, and uh-huh. as those things develop, all of a sudden. They can do more with the golf ball. Their bad shots aren't as bad. Their good shots are better. They're now plus ten more off the tee. They have another shot around the green. They're a better putter now. Their skills better now. also, oh, okay. Now I'm, I'm a better player. So I think when you go down that path of skill development, you, you got to balance it out a little bit. You got to have time where you can get into some deep practice and really understand the things you're trying to do, and then and then start transferring those to the to the course and everybody's different when it comes to that as far as the time needed to do that. But it's, uh, there's gotta be a little bit of balance there and it's not for everybody. Some, some are like, nah, I'm cool. I'm, I'm, I'm cool being a 12, you know, or a 13 handicap. Right. And I just want to go play with my buddy, smoke a cigar, have a few beers. And I'm, I'm all in on that too. Like I, I like playing golf with those guys, playing some music and
2: off we go. Do you feel like you get to do more of that kind of golf now in your, you know, kind of your path where you're at currently, or do you have a lot more of the kind of like buttoned up experiences more often. That is
1: my golf, the first. I love <laughs> it. I love I it. Yeah, see, that is my golf. Now it's like, you know, like when I go play, which is not a ton, I like to play with my buddies who, um, who, who are doing it recreationally like me, you know, and, and, you know, I like to listen to music. I like to have a couple of beers. I like to play a little, um, some games, you know, and, you know, I'm not out there grinding, you know, trying to shoot the absolute lowest score that I can. And if I don't, you know, I'm going to explode. Like that's not, you know, that's not it. You know, I'm a, I'm a recreational golfer. And and when I go, I like to do it with guys that are kind of in it the same way. Now with that said, you know, part of my job is if, if, if I take a student out there, right. And playing lessons, that's a little more of the button up type of experience where you're trying to help them with their game. So that's, that's work. But when I play uh, it's more recreation.
2: Travis, when you're out there with your buddies, are they open to getting feedback from you? Any pointers, or
1: <laughs> I, I don't offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Send him a link, book an it. appointment. That's, that's part of the 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 waiver they sign. Is like, okay, <laughs> I'm not watching your swing, and I'm not offering advice, and we're not talking about score. We're not talking. about <laughs> like, I'm not here to beat you. I might, I might heckle you, you, know, you know, rather than, than than try to help you. No, it, it's um. I get enough of that, you know, you know, as far as, you know, Hey, we you, you look at this and this and that. And, and I'm obviously, I'm happy to do it, but, but my friends are kind of out there the same way. They're like, let's just go play and have fun. <laughs> Love it.
0: Well, I like that idea too. I think because a lot of people take golf a little too serious. And I think a lot of times you almost get into this, like, you know, you're twisting your mind around so much that, you don't really, you don't have fun playing golf anymore. You're not playing good golf. So do you have any tips? You know, what do you teach people about the mental game? Are there any, any major aspects to golf that you try to say, like, you know, don't get mad at yourself, or if you're going to get mad, let it go after a shot. You have any tips?
1: I think that the, the first thing you have to understand is there's a bell curve to every skill set. And what I mean by that is let's say you're a 10 handicap, right? And you know if you're 10 handicap for easy math let's just say you're shooting a lot of 82s right you're shooting a lot of 81s a lot of 80s 83s you know and and if i drew this bell curve it's like you know it kind of goes here and then up and then down right and the fat part of that bell curve is yeah 82 81 80, 80 you know all these numbers that you you shoot a lot but then as it as it as it kind of kind of goes off this way right as it kind of goes this way it's like okay i'm also capable of shooting 83 and 84 and as it kind of keeps going down, it's like, but I'm also capable of shooting an 85 occasionally or an 86, right? But then as it goes the other way, it's like 79, 78, 77. So it's like this bell curve, like you can shoot, you know, 76, 77, all the way up to 86, 87, right? Like that's that's a 10 handicap. Now you're going to shoot more 82s, 83s, and 81s, but you're also capable of shooting at times on, on those bookends. So that bell curve is the same for every player. I mean, if you're a tour player and you're a plus five, all right, you're shooting a lot of 68, 69, 70, 71, 72, 73, but you're also going to throw in a 63, 64 once in a while. You're also going to show in a 74 once in a while. So it's like we're all in it the same. I think when you tell people that, it kind of chills them out. You know, it's like they come in here and they're like, I shot 10 handicap, I shot 78 on Thursday, and then I shot 85 on Saturday. I'm so inconsistent. I'm like, no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, no, you're not. That's your bell curve, brother. that's your bell curve. That's right. For me, I always get to see every
2: way. part of that bell curve in just 18 holes. Some have bigger bell One curves than others. One nine is a 49. <laughs> the next one's a 39. It's very
1: upsetting. It's funny. Like, if you start charting and you start looking at it, like, it's, it's you know, yeah, there might be a bigger bell curve in certain, certain areas, but it's just that's, that's the range. Like, and it's a pretty big range in golf, you know, and so I think as you kind of understand that, it's like, okay, I need to chill out a little bit. And if I want to get better, and if I want to shoot more 76s, I got to shift the bell curve that way. And the only way you can shift the bell curve that way is you got to improve your skill set. And for most, to improve their skill set, they got to learn something different than what they're already doing. And that's where the decision comes in. And, and that's where I think I'll get to my second piece of advice here as I'm kind of, hopefully I'm not rambling here, but I think the first is the bell curve. And the second is you shift the bell curve and you improve skill set. It's, it's then it's like, okay, I want to shoot more 76s. What do I got to do? All right, well, now you got to assess, okay, here's your full swing. Here's your short game where you're losing stroke, you know, and now what do I got to do to start improving my weaknesses? And as you start going down that path and you start making changes, that's where like a whole nother element comes in, right? Because now you feel different, (laughs) right? And it's like, damn. That face feels different, my wrists, my body, my shoulder, my hip, my knee. Man, I've never used my hands like that, you know, whatever it is. And that's when, like, you start going down this path of, okay, who do I invest time in with the, the instructor to help me shift that bell curve? And the job of the instructor is not only to give them great information, but it's to put it in the right order. And when you put it in the right order, now you're improving the probability of impact. And as you improve the probability of impact, you can develop more skill. And that's kind of the whole secret sauce of this thing. And if you can get someone to go down that path and you can give them right information and they can, you know, work on it and, and, and kind of, you know, see things through. Well, then the bell curve should shift. And that's that's kind of the that's kind of the job that I've been living in for a while. And and and, and if you're if you're good at what you do, you shift more bell curves than you don't. Right. Because sometimes right. it just doesn't happen. Sometimes for whatever reason, what I'm saying is just not flying with person or. Maybe I'm just not giving them the right info or I'm not saying it the right way. You know, whatever it is, there's times where it's like, you know, you got to look yourself and say in the face, like, man, I think maybe you should go get another, you know, you should go get another piece of advice. But nine times out of 10, you should be able to shift that bell curve as a teacher.
3: So you can't just shift the bell curve by buying the latest technology, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't drive yeah, the right. ball right now. I'm just going to go get a new one. That's going to solve all my problems. Can, right? Yeah.
1: Well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, <laughs> You know, like you go back, take tech, like take clubs ten years ago, right? Actually, some guy came in and he had he had he had the old Nike driver, and, and Nike makes oh, the ho- covert, so <laughs> which they, one? That's why really make bad <laughs> Nike drivers, right? <laughs> so he brings it in, and, and he's like, maybe I should just buy a new driver, that'll help. And I said, well, let me tell you something. That club face is six degrees open at impact. Okay, so that ball's going I don't know, twenty yards or twenty-two yards over here to the right. Okay, so now you buy a new driver. And the club face is six degrees open, and now it's going 34 yards to the right. <laughs> yeah, more ball speed. Ball speed's not good there. Yeah. <laughs> it's still open, right? Travis, we're over here laughing
2: at that story because I just got rid of my old Nike driver and replaced it with a brand new one. Okay. So let's we'll see how that
1: goes. You ought to put it above your fireplace. <laughs> yeah. But you'll like it. He went he went
0: PXG with this one. He's a, he's a PXG guy good now. Yep. You I'll tell you something. You know, the PXG, look,
1: the Gen 5s are great. They really are. And and they've really done a great job with this driver. Always been great irons, hybrids, wedges. This driver is, is no
0: question their best one, best one. The irons are nuclear. Oh, I wanted to, I wanted to jump back real quick. So I think a lot of our listeners have probably never had a lesson from a teaching professional. So I wanted to get your opinion. Someone who's looking to get lessons, is it, uh, okay, you find an instructor, maybe you have a pre-meeting with them, make sure you guys are vibing. Is it a, you know, a three-lesson package? Is it a 10-lesson package? Is it once a week? Like, what kind of quantity and frequency are we looking at to really kind of get your game headed in the right direction?
1: You know, look, I think you need more than one. Um you know, I think one can get the, can get the wheels turning, um, but I do think, like, you need some follow-up and guidance after that, and I think the more you can do that over a period of time and you're getting good info and it's in the right order and you're putting some time into it, and like, you should see progression, right? And, and, and the cool thing is that can kind of keep going over and over and over again um, and, and attacking those weaknesses and making your strengths um, stronger. I think if you're when you're searching for a student or for a coach, I think you have to you got to ask around a little bit and I think you got to ask around comparable to your skill set. If you're a 20 handicap, ask some other 20 handicaps or 15s or 25s. Who did you take lessons from right? Um, maybe not so much a three handicap. Oh, that might be help. You might have a really good friend of the three and you trust his advice and look. I'm not saying that can't happen. Right. But I do know in this sport um, that in golf, like, I think there are teachers that are kind of wired to work with at different phases of their career, wired to work with the low single digit handicap versus maybe a 15. Right. Um, And there's others that are kind of more wired and they enjoy developing that mid handicap male, female, um, and develop it. There's others that are more wired for juniors. So I think kind of finding someone similar to you skill set. who do you work with? Yeah, I really like him. He's helped me go from a 15 to a 10. That's something to entertain with COVID
3: happening. And obviously the game of golf has grown so much has the teaching professional kind of grown the same way. Like are all these new golfers also looking to get lessons or are they
1: more just focused on playing and having a good time? Yeah, I think it's all up. I think rounds are up. I think equipment's up. I think instruction's up. Uh, COVID, was a, the silver lining was golf. I think in instruction, what blew up was long-distance online lessons, uh, online training programs. That really blew up. I mean, I, I did. Now, know, were that you doing my-
3: online before COVID, or was that kind of yeah. a new, oh, okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, online's been around a while. Um you know, it's always been part of my business, but not to that degree. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, because it became times three at that point. I mean, cause we, you know, I do something. I want to get back into golf. I want to be outdoors. Um, well, why don't I just take a lesson? Oh, you should take an online lesson. Like what the hell is that? Like you just video yourself and then send it to a teacher. Right. And okay, well, why not? We got the time. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, it, it uh, you know, through your phone, right? Golf through your phone became a real, real business uh, in the instruction world through
2: COVID. So kind of as a follow up to that, you know, as we are getting at least up here, it's gonna start to get colder, getting those winter months where it's kinda harder to get out there. Is there a best kind of practice or anything that people can be doing that maybe don't have access to, you know, that warm Florida weather that you have up here? You know, you've spent time up north you know, and all that kind of stuff. Maybe you have some insight. I, I think
1: like um I think speed training is something that you can do indoors during the winter um you you know i think like uh, the stack system super speed uh those are two really good speed training systems that you can do indoors and and what it does it just keeps you it keeps you lengthened out you know it's easy as we get older well although you guys don't look too old (laughs) as we get older like you start you start kind of you know everything's kind of caving in right and you get short in the backswing and you got to stay lengthened out and when you speed train um keeps you lengthened out keeps you swinging using the right muscles i think it's a really good idea through the winter um i think also like just as boring as it might sound to some um is putting i've got this little tool here it's called roll the rock right,
0: let's see that. if you can't see it hold on i'm gonna skim my- it oh with all the colors on it yeah right yeah can you see that speed, yeah. yeah that thing's cool because right. it goes up and then up? comes back, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. That's that's up right there. Uh. Yeah, so you roll the, you got different numbers that you roll from. And what you do is you roll like from the red to the red, the green to the green. And it's, it's amazing how good it is for your touch. Interesting. Like it, incredible. I mean, I've like, I have a seven year old son and he rolls putts on all the time. And then we go on the course and play and his touch is really good, which is kind of odd for a young kid, right? Because right. that's what they struggle mm-hmm. with. And I haven't really done anything other than that. And he's just kind of, you know, he's measured it out and he puts on it and it rolls back to him and he puts it and it rolls back to him. Um, it's really cool. It's it's a I, I highly recommend it for like you can work on your stroke, right? You can work on your line and, you know, aim at something. But but the touch aspect of it is super cool.
0: Oh, and you get out on the course with your son and you got like a 20 footer and you tell him this is like a green. And now he knows he remembers what the green is like. Yeah, yeah. there
1: you go. There you go. Yep.
0: Nice, man. Well, we had, so we got some, we got some favorite players around here on the podcast, pro players. We wanted to kind of get your take, I guess, maybe on parts of their game that you like, maybe parts of their games that you think they need to work on. Um, let's start with uh, the guy who won uh, last week, Tom Kim.
1: You know, I, 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 uh, I sat there and watched Tom Kim in Vegas. I was on the range and I just, I don't know Tom. I was in the backdrop, just watching for about 30 minutes, you know, very just discipline. Every ball had a purpose. He had no entourage around him. Um, very grounded kid, I, I like him a lot. And and he's um, what's interesting with Tom is he's not that long. Um, you know, he's oh, not that long. I'm going to say two ninety nine three. Yeah, it's still right? pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, <laughs> yeah, but, not yeah, that yeah, long stuff, is three. Right? Like, there's not one that wouldn't sign up for that. <laughs> but you know, he's not. Um, you know what I'm saying? He's not uh, a DJ at three seventeen. Right? right? Or he's not one of those guys that's carrying at three twenty. But he's, um, boy, he's just his his precision iron game is just ridiculous. I mean, how precise uh, he is with his irons, his distance control, and and I think he's um he's obviously a very. When I say these things, I'm saying them in relationship to the tour, right? I mean, obviously all these guys are great, but when you start comparing them to other players, great players, Tom, I think's an elite iron player. I think he's a he's a terrific putter, but I think more than all that, I think where Tom is going to be special is situationally. And, you know, like you saw it in Vegas, two shot lead forward to play. He didn't birdie 15 and 16. Cantley did, but he was just like, okay, I'm cool. Like, like there was no panic, you know, just, just, just keep playing. Cantley makes a mistake on 18. He wins. I don't know. It just feels like situationally he's comfortable in the moment. And, not all those guys are.
3: Well, I think we saw that at the President's Cup, you know, his real coming right, out party good. to the world. I mean, the yeah. stage was never too big for him, and he goes out on, you know, he had some good matches and goes out on Saturday and, and beats down Xander and Cantlay, arguably the U.S.'s <laughs> best team. And, you know, he's 20 years old doing that to, to probably one of the best U.S. squads that, that's out there.
1: You think about it, like, everybody can have those moments in golf, right? Like, man, I played great this week, and it kind of everything clicks. And that's like the left side of the bell curve, right? Um, but you think about it, like he wins Wyndham, double bogey the first hole and still wins. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And then it, to your point, he goes to President's Cup, arrives onto the scene, right? Superstar, absolute global superstar. All these expectations that were here are now up here. Next time we see him is where, Vegas. He yeah. wins by three. Unreal, <laughs> like, I know. Wait, what? Like you're 20? I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. And, and he's cool. And he's, and he, and he's, um, he's relatable, right? Like he laughs, he smiles, he, um, he talks. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, exactly. Like some of these guys, you know, like can't lay you look at him, you're like, man. <laughs>
0: like, come on, investment dude. banker. We call Cantley the investment yeah. banker. Yeah, Come on, man. do it. Show us your teeth. You can do it. <laughs> That's why him and Xander are such an electric pairing. I know. Yeah. So you talk about Tom's iron game. We got a couple other guys here. How about Cam Smith? What do you see about his game? What do you like?
1: So Cam, uh, who lives probably three miles from the studio, um, is, uh, you know, Cam's a great guy, first and foremost, and an elite iron player, and probably the best putter in the world, um, I would say. I think he's the best putter in the world, and I think he's an elite iron player. I think his drivers, his weakness... Um, when he won TPC, he lost five strokes off the tee. That's like that's unheard of. Yeah, it's, he picked up twenty was. on the greens, right? That's why. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, but he's uh, he's he um, like when you watch him when he first came out on tour to where he is now, I think he's always been he's always been a great putter, right? He, the putting and even as like his chipping, like he's he's one of the best. He's got that rhythm. Yep. Yeah, but his iron game got. Much better. Like he became, he, he became an elite iron player after he turned pro. His driver still kind of gives him fits from time to time and he overcomes it, which is in today's distance era, you know, you're crooked off the tee. That can be problematic, but it just shows you how good the other parts of his game
0: are. Well I think what we saw from Cam at St Andrews was like a lot of tour pros are aggressive with their lines but Cam was not only aggressive with his line but his distance control was unbelievable and I know the conditions weren't crazy they they get a lot worse at St Andrews like we saw at the Offer Dunhill right but Cam's distance control along with his line are so good like it, it's it's out of this world how good his irons are right now yep it is it's it's a uh, it's just it's incredible you know
1: and I think like what makes a good iron player is um you know, they they shoot it out the window the same, like the trajectory is the same, you know, and then they're able not only to obviously manage that line, but then they can manage that distance, you know, like that distance control is just so good, like hitting it in there 10, 12 feet versus the one that jumps on you to 30 feet, right, or the one you know, that's underneath you know, at 25, so it's like, it's just, obviously they they can keep it on line but they shoot it out at that trajectory and speed, and it's like Oh, there he is again. pin high, twelve feet. It's like, you know, next hole, fifteen feet. Totally and, agree. So. And he looks like he's putting to the
0: ocean when he's when he's putting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's hard to watch. I know it makes us feel like we don't know how to putt. <laughs> I don't. Know. It's amazing. So yeah. then that's a, another good iron iron player, ball striker. Maybe he has a little bit of a weakness. But Colin Morikawa, what do you think about his game? Yep. Are we going to see another? Are we going to see him come back a little bit in twenty twenty
1: three? Oh yeah, he'll be back. Um, Colin lost his fade. Yeah, you know he lost his fade. I think he fought it a little bit. Then he was like, screw it. I'll play the draw. And then I think he kind of got his fade back. And I think through that process, his putting was really bad, which it can be. Um, Colin is fascinating in that we know he's an elite iron player, like one of the best in the world. And when he putts good, it's like plus five. Right. You know, And then it's like negative two, negative two, negative two, negative two, negative, two, negative one, negative three, negative two, plus five. Right, <laughs> it's like, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> you know, and so it's like when he goes, he goes, like Cameron champs kind of like that, yeah, um, but Cameron's not a good iron player. Cameron's a good driver, but then he just puts awful, and then when he puts good, it's like, what? plus four, and he wins. Um, you know, Collins is always a scary bet in the in the betting world, because my, my rule is like you get him over 25, it's an automatic bet just because if he, if he puts good. His iron game is so good that he's good, he's going to have a chance to win. And I think kawa as I said to Tom Kim, kawa is good situationally. He put him on kawa Sunday late. He's, that guy can get the job done. Yeah, he's a dog, right? Like he's you just he's a dog. There's it doesn't feel like the stage is too big. Where like with Xander, it, it has and he feel he looks more comfortable this year. But Xander's has kicked away a lot of tournaments, right. um, Just because of late on Sundays.
0: So how does a guy like Colin Markawa, like, I don't know if you have any more, like, deep insight on this, but how does a guy go from playing a five-yard cut his whole life to then a five-yard draw and he can't figure it out? Like, what happens there? I would say,
1: I don't know the answer to that with Colin. I would say probably he just started moving his, his you know, his swing direction a little more out to the right, which could have happened by him maybe aiming slightly more right. Could have happened by him moving the ball position a bit more back than he thought. Could have happened by the attack angle getting a little bit steeper coming down. Like, there's a few things that can kind of push the path more out to the right. And, you know, it could have been a little bit of incrementally each one of those. And all of a sudden it's like, shoot, the path's one and a half to the right. Now it's drawn left, you know? And I want it, and I want it one and a half to the left and fading right. So when you kind of hover around that zero number, like it can, you know, it can it doesn't go. doesn't take much, like, right? <laughs> it doesn't take much versus some that might. Play the little bigger fade where it's you know minus two minus three on track man and it's like you know or or on uh, you know any simulator that you're using um mine being about golf it, it you know you get the path going two three four to the left more and it's like okay now i'm one to the left still fade, you know so it's it's you start hovering around zero and it's it's a, it's it can move to the right slightly and all of a sudden it's like damn it's drawn. it's interesting though one thing i learned in spending time with these guys is there's a lot of players that whatever it's doing, they play it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that hover around zero. They're like, like, I'll ask him, I was like, what, what do you like to see? Left or right? The ball fade? right?" He's like, eh, whatever's doing that day. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, sometimes it just dies right. Sometimes it dies left. I'll just play it. I'm like, awesome. Like, you know, there's a lot of guys like that, that hover around zero, that kind of, it, it can fall one way or the other, depending
0: upon the day. I love that. I think that's like a perfect example of guys that grew up like playing on the course and didn't go to the range a lot. And they kind of just learn how to play their ball. And so if it's fading that day, play the fade. If it's drawn, play the draw.
1: I like the, um, I like the willing. I like, you know, guys. Okay. I want to see it. I want to know what I'm doing, but I like, the, I like the ownership of players like Tom Kim um, of a Colin Moricao guys that are not over coached. And you just kind of, you get an appreciation of that. There's a, that they're playing with some art. Right. And they're not playing to a number that's showing up on a on a computer screen. They're not playing a position. You know, so I, I like I find that your your best players like Scotty Scheffler, right? It's the number one player in the world. He's like that. He he wants to kind of know what it's doing, he, what he's doing. But at the end of the day, it's like, give me the damn five. You know, like, you know, it's like get out of my way. You know, and that's you know, and he can and he goes. And there's it's just an art with Scheffler. Um, John Rom's like that, JT's like that. You start looking at all the top players. Like, do they look at themselves on video? So sure. Do they look at numbers once they want to launch one? Sure. But they're not sitting there camping on it, trying to to do perfect stuff. Oh, I got to get that number with that was one point five. I need to get it to two point two. Right. You know, like they're not. They don't care about that.
0: Feels like he's describing Bryson. <laughs> <laughs> Bryson is numbers oriented, but he has he has a lot of variety to his game too.
1: Well, Bryson, I don't I don't think Bryson at this point is really interested in like playing professional golf <laughs> I don't think so either
0: <laughs> he still could beat everyone
2: but
1: you're right second place in the long drive I mean that's pretty big news with him, his right? buddy yeah, yeah that's big news. I mean that's what he, that's all you see right I mean that, that I think that is his goal I mean he's you know he obviously wouldn't got a lot of money which is good for him but I think his goals of being the best player he can be and the decisions he's making I think at least based off his decisions, seems to be number two or three down the list
0: So I had one more question. You brought up John Rom. We were talking about Colin Morikawa. Are you a fan of this bowed left wrist kind of the George Gankus power comes from the hips? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think you got to get to you've got to get to some you know bowed flexion whatever you've got to get to some flexion at some point before you get to impact. Whether you get some of it at the top or you get some of it in transition or you get some of it late at the bottom, you got to get to it. I think I think like generally for most amateurs i probably am, am i'm trying to put some flexion in earlier in that process
0: right so let, um, let, yeah it says it has because it's not going to come that naturally per se so if you force them to do it then right. it will yeah right so i think like the i would say
1: that the the better player the higher the shittier the player <laughs> yep <laughs> You're talking That's to in me in right here. now yeah. you got us listening go ahead <laughs> <laughs> the sooner i'm gonna probably introduce the flexion in that process love it All right, so i just need to bend my sense. wrist
2: like right when i grab the club oh. <laughs>
1: just immediately <laughs> bend it as soon as you grab it. here's where it gets tricky okay is you take so if mark leishman walked in here right if phil mickelson walked in here um if mckenzie hughes walked in here they don't they don't get it till late right so you're not going to take that player and say, hey, let's get some flexion in more. <laughs> like, like you're playing with fire. At yeah, that point. yeah, that club face is going to get so closed. Yeah, you're playing with fire at that point. So that's kind of your general rule of thumb. And there's no perfect answer for every that's where you got to kind of filter in and say, OK, I'm going to introduce this. And here's why based off the elements I'm seeing in your swing. But generally speaking, the worst player, the sooner you're going to try to get to it.
0: Let's, uh, so now we got all our pros covered. We want to talk a little bit more about you, the golf entertainment coverage side. I know you talked about being a, a teaching professional your whole career, right? But then, you know, once you left TPC, you really got into golf entertainment. Let's talk a little bit about, so you had the Stripe Show with 18 birdies for a couple of years, and now you got this thing going. Give us a little background on those.
1: Yeah, so the, the um, when I left Golf Channel, I went to 18 birdies, and we started the Stripe Show. I started it with a lady there that we came up with the concept, and it became a weekly show for them. And then when I left there, I, I took it with me and just turned it into a podcast about, uh, let's see, probably just under two years ago and really took it, then really started taking it serious about a year ago. Um, and I kind of kept it alive doing, you know, here and there. And then I was like, all right, we're going to fully invest in this full court press. And, you know, when we did that is when it started to grow and take off. Um, so, yeah, i just been kind of staying after it. And then when I really dedicated my time to continue to do the Stripe Show podcast, continue to do content with my partners on my social platforms, I was like, all right, I want to put it all in one house here into this studio with my teaching, the simulator and all that. And really commit, you know, two to three days a week doing it and the podcast is what, four days a week, um, generally, you know, Mondays know a lot of the reactionary stuff and then then tuesday's gambling wednesday we get players on and thursday's instruction so yeah that's kind of where it started and and where it is now and we feel like we're just kind of just kind of getting our footing now and hopefully you know in the next season another full year we're going to be we feel like in a really good spot
2: travis do you prefer do you prefer being behind the mic uh doing the podcasting as opposed to on camera for things like golf
1: channel or otherwise well, I, you know, my my days at Golf Channel, like my 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 favorite stuff in media is live television. Morning Drive was is was an absolute best part of anything I've ever done uh, because it taught me the most and it's like it's a, it's an absolute drug of of live television like at least for me, like my brain was so alert and and my body was so alive with adrenaline and you know what I'm saying? Just from, you know, that moment of it's kind of like players and, you know, out of a huddle or of a, of a, you know, being introduced in front of 70,000 people and that, that feeling of winning back in the locker room with your buddies and like, and it's just like, you can't even explain it, right? It's a thing It's a drug and it drives you to do it again. It's the same thing in live television for me. It's like, that's in, your ear in, it's like this steady, this wire, you know, and then it's you know, the producer's talking to you and you know you're about ready to go in front of like 100,000 people live and, and, and you got to interview someone and then you got to hit a shot and then you got <laughs> <have a conversation laughs> to do all this in like two and a half minutes, right? And it's like, damn, you know, and like and when, when you start doing it, it starts going so fast that you're like, that's not two and a half minutes. So like, yeah, stop talking. We're going to we're just stop talking. <laughs> um, so that, that was for me, the best um it's just so much fun and it teaches you how to to do kind of this stuff you know and like be more conversational talk in more sound bites and you know articulate your message and and part of the journey for me guys is like you know i've been a teacher by trade and it's it was always interesting when i went to golf channel and i would have this conversation with my boss i'm like and you guys remember the show morning drive Oh, Oh, oh yeah okay so so like you know there was like damon hack and um, you know, Kelly Tillman when I was there and you guys remember Holly Saunders. She was there when I first started. I remember Hill. Holly Saunders. Yeah, Yes. And so like so you have like your anchors, right? Like they're the they're the anchors and then you have your former players, right? So you always have your former players, your, you know, your Chris DeMarcos and your John Cooks and and they're all there, right? And then they, I, I told them, I was like, well, let me do the heavy lifting instruction. Throw it to me. I'll break it down. But I'm like, I want to sit at the desk. And they're like, well, why? I'm like, well, because I have an opinion on all of these topics. <laughs> yeah, you know? All these topics you guys are kicking around, like, I can talk about those too. And they're like, okay. So they finally, you know, so I started kind of sitting at the desk and Michael Breed was there and he would do a little bit of it. So we would sit at the desk and talk all things golf. And then like, okay, I'll go over and do the heavy lifting and tell you what speed's working on with his putting and, you know, and this and that. And it just kind of, I don't know, it kind of lit a fuel like, you know, like you always got to have the former players, right? You got to have the, the the sports broadcasters. You got to have the color guys. and But it's like, well, why can't a teacher do this too? Like, I don't, I don't get it. You know, like that. And so for me, it's like, I feel like my skill set i wanted to do more all that you know and i want to continue to do more of it and that's why i kind of kept going here with the stuff i'm doing love it love it
0: all right man i think that's uh we got one more final section for you we're gonna give you a little rapid fire some quick questions tell you want to take us away
2: yeah sure we'll go ahead and uh, run this one here so we just like right off the top of your head what you got here so your favorite course you've ever played favorite course favorite course most iconic course you've ever played
1: Probably T P C Sawgrass, Love I it.
2: Anything yeah. that's on your bucket list to play, so
1: pebble. I haven't done it yet. I gotta do it.
2: Okay. Yeah. Coolest golfer andor celebrity that you've done
0: lessons with.
1: Right now, recently, I love Adam Thielen, the receiver for the Vikings. Oh, okay. sweet,
0: dude. That's a sick one. Yeah.
1: I've been helping him long distance. The guy's the best ever.
0: Oh, I bet he's got a pretty
1: he's got good club head speed good. too. He's a he's Wanted a freak. You see how good he's been lately? Like he's gotten a lot better. He almost won he, he was like top five in um in Reno. Your best score on a course. Best score sixty one.
0: Oh, that's way lower yeah. than we were Damn. thinking, man.
1: <laughs> Damn. Preferred yeah. beverage while you're out there? What?
2: What fueled that sixty one for you?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that was a it was a, pra- it was a practice around in college. Actually, I still have the course record. So my beverage, I, I like to drink an ultra, you know. Yes. But like my choice. favorite drink is like gin and pink lemonade.
0: Ooh, I'm gonna try that, that one. That sounds
1: good. good. All right, so what you need to do is get like get no let gin. Okay. So Nolette Gin, Nolette owns Kettle One. They also oh, yeah, the make green bottle,
0: yeah, with the silver cap, yeah. Right, so that's a good drink. Yeah.
1: That's a good one. The other one is a uh, is a little Glen so They're part of my team. I love me a little uh, Glen Fittish, so. And too. Is that scotch? Yeah. 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 Good stuff.
2: Is there a favorite Glenn footage? I know they definitely have a few different like years. There a year you prefer? Well, they have a
1: All right now. Looking at a fourteen and a fifteen here, staring me in the face. I <laughs> drop the night. Open it fun. up. I'm sure the kids will <laughs> to. Hey, well, you're probably
2: should sure not right now. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have a favorite player on tour?
1: Like, you, there's a guy or,
2: or girl you're you know excited to tune in and watch every week.
1: I have a lot of guys that I like out there, and I met a new one this week in um, in Vegas. Absolute gem. <laughs> His name is Harry Hall. <laughs> this dude, this dude is a gem. I mean, he is hilarious. And he don't give two cents about
0: nothing. I mean, he <laughs> is
1: like, I don't think I've ever met a player like him. He's so laid back. It's like, it's it's frightening almost. Um, I love Joel Damon. Um, I've known Joel. We grew up in the same part of the world, up in Idaho, Washington State. He's a, he's an absolute gem of a person. Uh, his caddy, Gino Benelli, they're just Hilarious, hilarious guys oh they're
0: unbelievable
1: <laughs> oh they're hilarious yeah um and um as far as like um you know some, some you know some other players i mean how can you not like uh you know i'm thinking here in the top players who would i would give you i like cameron young too he's a dog man i love cameron yeah young.
2: One, one of the guys not here that, that's his favorite golfer most he's mostly like, because of the baseball sponsorship yeah, mlb sponsorship <laughs> on his
1: sleeve <laughs> like, man that guy like he's a dog you know what i'm saying like he's a he'll burn a hole through you i I just i I just i just like his his style man comes from the corn ferry tour goes out there and just starts ripping it up and he just looks like he belongs from day one like the swag and it's just natural like it's a it's a natural swag you know like
0: the way he walks around like i don't know man i just dig it i like cameron young too I think when he came on the scene, like in Scottsdale, we saw him. We saw his swing. We're like, "Wow, that is violent!" And then we're like, "Wow, that is far and pretty straight too." So he can, yeah, he can do whatever he wants.
2: I remember at the Genesis when he like chipped in on Sunday and just walked up and picked it up. Like it was classic for him. Like he's the man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like he's like that's like I, I you know yeah he's not cocky though he's not like you know he's not cocky he's just he's just confident but he's he carries himself well his game is sick he bombs it off the tee his iron game is 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 ridiculous and he's probably one of the more underrated putters in the game he his bunker game you got to hold your breath <laughs> you know when he gets into a bunker but his uh his he's the real deal man when he came off the corn ferry tour I was like you gotta this kid's gonna be good I had him on the podcast when he won a second he was going for his third straight on the corn ferry tour um and I and we, I called him so would you come on and I just, you could just tell like this kid's different, you know, like his game's going to transfer to the tour and it has, Now he has not won yet, but he will. It's coming to make
2: He's close a lot. Oh, this
1: yeah. year. And I like will too. his wake to say. Part, that, you think yeah, about those Baltimore's, guys together? A stud, man. That kid's a stud.
0: We haven't seen one out of wake since Webb, I guess. And it's just like, and those two come together like a package deal. It's sweet.
1: Yeah. You know, you, you know, like George is kind of one, he's been kind of taking that over, right? Like all these Georgia guys, you know, I think the next Georgia guys probably going to be Davis Thompson. Um, kid's the real deal.
2: All right, so I know you're also into the betting. Who, who's who's your lock for next year to win PJ Tour Player of the Year? Yeah, I'm putting you right on the spot. I'm, I'm putting a future bet in once we get man. off this.
1: I think Rom rebounds. Oh, lovely. I think he does, too. I think that I putter think got pretty cold there
0: toward the end, and it's not something yeah, rebounds. I think it was a tough year for Rom this year. Have a kid, man. Um, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to know, of all of the episodes you've done, who has been your favorite interview on your podcast? Oh,
1: <laughs> man. Oh, I don't even know if I can answer that. Who surprised um, you
0: the most? Who who walked in and you thought you were going to get a whole different? Pill? Well, Kramer uh, was huge um, when we had him on. That's when
1: the podcast doubled in size. The next day, um, <laughs> yeah, he when he came the news on on, on there, right? Very, he was the very first person to talk about Liv yeah. in candid terms. Yep, yeah, I remember that. And, and uh, you know, when we interviewed him and started asking him questions, and he just started answering candidly, it was like he was reading the Liv memo. I was just like. <laughs>
3: should you be doing this right oh my god oh my god God. it's (laughs) happening and
1: so yeah i mean you have to say like he'd be right there um and we've had we've had some really good ones it's hard to like just pinpoint one because it's all this lib discussion has been fascinating i mean it's just been like having peter ginsburg on one of the top lawyers talk about this stuff and What's going to happen and why? And then it happens, and you're just like, wow, you know, like genius. It's, like, it's, just, <laughs> it's just, it's just, there's so much interesting conversation about the LIV right now. And, and I think there's
0: going to be more. Any interviews coming up where we should look forward to any or anyone that you want on that you haven't had yet? Um, well, we'll have Chikara
1: back on who just won. Nice. Uh, so I know Janice Chikar pretty well. He'll be, he, I, I texted with him this morning. He'll be on after Miami in a few weeks, um, which will be good and interesting. If only he went um, to wake
0: like his sister, we'd have a quite a little yeah, trio right. there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. And then Mark Blackburn, top coach and come on and we're going to, you know, one of the things we do is really break down like how these guys train and he's going to share with my, the audience about how like Max Homa, all the stuff that Max has done with his game and that is elevated to where he is. So that's going to be really cool too. That's coming up here in the next week. Awesome. Definitely going to look after yeah. that. Sweet, man. Yeah. Hey, thanks a lot yeah, for coming on, man. Have, have, have a good back. week
0: with the kids and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks guys.